On this edition of the Iowa Business Report. But there'll be some that will probably be put on hold too, so that's kind of the, the consequence here, I think. The Federal Environmental Protection Agency again failed to maximize use of renewable fuels, and it could cost Iowa a lot of money. You may earn less at your job if you speak with the wrong accent. And in our business profile, a family-run company that continues to grow after more than 40 years. This is the Iowa Business Report for the final weekend of June 2023. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. Here is Jeff Stein. This past Wednesday, the federal EPA released its final rule for the renewable fuel standard for 2023, 2024, and 2025. And to say the numbers were disappointing to the biofuels industry would be an understatement. The financial impact to the overall Iowa economy is sizable. That's according to Grant Kimberly, executive director of the Iowa Biodiesel Board and senior director of market development at the Iowa Soybean Association. We weren't happy really at all with this announcement from the EPA. They came out and announced the renewable volume obligations for the renewable fuel standard. That's the law that uh, determines how many gallons of biofuels will be blended into our nation's fuel supply. Based off of information that we provided to them on industry capacity, additional crush soybean crush capacity for feedstock demand, renewable diesel growth, we wanted to see at least a 500 million gallon per year increase over each and every year over three years. So EPA came out with something much lower than that. They only provided a 60 million gallon increase for biomass-based diesel fuel, biodiesel renewable diesel in 2023, and 220 million gallon increase in 2024, and a 310 million gallon in 225. And the reason why that is disappointing to us is because the industry capacity is already at the 2025 level already. And so when you look at that, an EPA is supposed to take under consideration what industry capacity volumes actually are, and they didn't do that. So we're very disappointed in that. So it's certainly not a matter of them saying, well, the industry can't support these levels. As you said, you're already producing well beyond the 2025 levels. What's the rationale that they're giving for why they disconnected with the overall administration mantra of clean energy and renewables and all of that? Well, I don't know if this is the official rationale, but I think ultimately the rationale is that they wanted to hold down some of the RIN compliance costs, the RIN credits that go along with these obligations that refiners, large multinational oil companies have the obligation to blend these biofuels into the fuel supply. They have that obligation. And so I think what they're looking at, and it's not probably official, but it's to hold down some of those refinery obligations so they don't have to make investments into blending additional renewable fuels. And quite frankly, I think it has something to do with the oil refinery union lobby and some of the extreme environmental groups as well who would just like to all together get rid of the internal combustion engine and liquid fuels in general and go straight to electrification, which that's not practical in probably uh, the next several decades. We're going to see it grow, certainly, but not nationwide and certainly not in a heavy horsepower, heavy duty applications like diesel fuel and diesel engines and, and aviation fuel. 
And so there's a disconnect there because they're trying to please, I think, a lot of different interest groups. Let's talk a bit about the economic implications of this, and I'll ask you to roll it back just a little bit for those of us who may not be intimately involved with this whole process. What is the renewable fuel standard, and how does that directly impact Iowa's broad economy? The renewable fuel standard was a law passed by Congress and signed by President George W. Bush in 2007 with the expressed goal to blend more renewable fuels, biofuels into the nation's energy and fuel supply to reduce our dependence on foreign oil, help our energy security, spur rural economic development, and also be better for the environment, reduce carbon emissions. So it has lots of different benefits to it. And the industry has grown substantially over that period of time. And Congress's intent, as you would ask Senator Grassley, Senator Ernst, but especially Senator Grassley, who was there at the time when this is passed, is for those volumes to continue to increase and for EPA, who has jurisdiction to set the obligations each year, to look at where we are currently producing and look at what's feasible to produce more in the future. And that's where we look at uh, the, the gallons being a little bit disappointed because we already at the gallons that they've set, we can produce even more than this. You had sought 500 million gallon increases in each of three years, as I recall what you said. They're way off that mark with only 60 million this year, 220 million increase next year, 310 million the year after that. From an economic standpoint, if it had been 500 million, if you had gotten what you asked for, what kind of real dollar spur to the Iowa economy is that? Well, you're talking billions of dollars to the Midwestern economy in general. We kind of look at it more of a regional basis, but certainly billions of dollars. These are well-paying jobs in a lot of these communities, these biofuel facilities, ethanol and biodiesel plants are located in. And we're also looking at the, the soybean processing industry. And then don't forget, we can use animal fats and recycle cooking greases. Those kinds of things can also go in to make biodiesel and renewable diesel. And I'm just talking about that piece of the industry. The ethanol industry will use the starch from corn. So that's the other segment of the renewable fuel standard. But on the biodiesel, renewable diesel, and aviation fuel side, we're going to use fats and oils, vegetable oils and animal fats. And so it's adding value to the things that are typically the lower value agriculture commodities. Research shows that if you increase the value to those lower value waste products, we're going to then process more than we otherwise would have processed without that. And we'll make more protein available, which then will lower food costs to livestock producers and protein to the consumer. And that's what it really matters, that this will probably raise protein costs by not adding value to the lower value fats and oils. This will now raise the value of the protein to offset some of that within you know, the overall economics that the soybean crush industry has to operate under. So the fact that there was such a small increase for this current calendar year, the other increases are nice, not what you wanted, but they're nice. This is only 60 million gallons of an increase. Do you think it's going to have a negative impact on current companies and their desire to either maintain their levels, grow as an industry, et cetera? Because this is not exactly the kind of boost from government the industry would need in order to feel confident about moving forward? From an Iowa perspective, we are the nation's leading biodiesel producer. We're the nation's leading soybean processor. We're a leading livestock producer. We produce over 450 approximately million gallons of biodiesel a year. 
there are plans on the books by a lot of different companies across the country to meet the call that the administration had said that they wanted us to meet to reduce carbon emissions, to reduce our dependence on foreign oil and improve energy security. There are plans on the books to grow our renewable diesel and biodiesel volumes by almost 5 billion gallons over the next five years. But I think a lot of those plans will probably be put on hold now. Maybe we'll see an increase of a billion gallons rather than 5 billion gallons. So what does that do next? It trickles back down. We've seen announcements to new crush facilities, new soybean processing facilities throughout the Midwest. I think a few of these might be put on hold now temporarily or until we have better news on the direction here. And and alone, we saw an increase uh, when it came to the soybean processing industry of 600 million bushels additional processing of soybeans in the country. Put that in perspective, Iowa grows about 600 million bushels of soybeans. So we, we're going to put additional capacity of soybean processing on the marketplace of about what Iowa grows as our crop. And that would have been more jobs, more demand, better prices for farmers locally to see some of these additional facilities come online. Now, a few of these will probably either too far along, they'll get built, but there'll be some that will probably be put on hold too. So that's kind of the, the consequence here, I think. Grant Kimberly, Executive Director of the Iowa Biodiesel Board and Senior Director of Market Development at the Iowa Soybean Association. We spoke via Zoom shortly after the news was announced this past Wednesday morning, June 21st. Still to come, saying y'all might cost you. And later, helping businesses craft their message and reach customers. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. Hello, Iowa. This is Michael Swanger, owner of Iowa History Journal. Our May-June issue features stories about country music legend C.W. McCall, the Dubuque Packers baseball team, Keokuk's historic lock and dam number 19, and the second part of our exclusive series about Grenville Dodge. Pick up the May-June issue of Iowa History Journal at Hy-Vee, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, and select Mills Fleet Farm stores or visit iowahistoryjournal.com. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, educating, guiding, advising, and coaching Iowa businesses. Search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook and get more at AdvanceIowa.com. A new study by researchers at the University of Chicago and the University of Munich has found that job seekers with a southern accent could make less money than people without one perhaps thousands of dollars less per year. The research showed that people with strong regional accents face a so-called wage penalty of up to 20% compared with those who speak with a standard accent. Another study showed that 38% of job seekers admitted to softening their regional accents during interviews because of negative stereotypes. That study by the Writing Tips Institute found that people from western New England were most likely to change their voice, followed by those from the South Midland, New Jersey, and the Deep South. Real estate, by the way, was the most likely industry where prospective employees change the way they speak. Coming up, they love it when you succeed. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. Tuning into the baseball game, monitoring the incoming storm, catching your favorite talk show. These are just a few of the reasons more than 80 million Americans depend on AM radio each month. 
And did you know AM radio is the backbone of the emergency alert system? It's reliable, free, and public safety depends on it. Text AM to 52886 and tell Congress we need AM radio in cars. Message and data rates may apply. You may receive up to four messages a month, and you may text STOP to STOP. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. Support for the Iowa Business Report comes from the Iowa Business Council, a nonpartisan nonprofit organization working to elevate Iowa's economy through leadership, research, and advocacy. Learn more and review the latest quarterly member survey by going to iowabusinesscouncil.org. Next month, Mud Advertising of Cedar Falls celebrates its 42nd anniversary. Over that four decades and multiple generations of the Mud family, the company has established a national reputation, originally in the automotive industry, but now even beyond. Jim Mudd Jr. is CEO of Mudd Advertising. Our father, Jim Mudd Sr., and my mother, Cecilia Mudd, started our company, Mudd Advertising, back in 1981 in our basement of our house. Dad just sold KCFI radio station, and he had a conversation with John Deary Sr., John Deary Jr., and they gave my dad an opportunity to start a business. So we have a very much so a gratitude to the Deary family, and uh, they've been a big part of our, our success over the last 42 years, and they've been uh, wonderful people. Since then, Dad had three to five different offices around Cedar Falls, and in 1997, he was able to build a new office out in the industrial park in Cedar Falls. Throughout the years, we've grown, and today we have six buildings in the industrial park, and it's worked out well. What was the focus initially? As you noted, your father was in the radio business. Inherently, that means there's a component of sales and advertising because otherwise a commercial radio station doesn't stay on the air. What was the initial focus? The initial focus was driving traffic. Dad learned a lot from the Deary's about urgency today and basic fundamentals on automotive retail. And then he had another friend named Ray Green who owns about 12, 15 stores in Illinois So dad had a good recipe for driving traffic using mostly television and print was kind of big back then. And of course, radio. Those were the three primary mediums. And then he had a direct mail in 1990. And primarily, mud advertising was focused on the automotive industry because that was a pretty unique niche. Full page ads with lists of cars, etc. What was it about lasering in on that niche that helped the company be successful? You know, they say the riches are in the niches, and it's interesting. I've looked at probably 50 different ad agencies over the time, you know, mergers, acquisitions, and it's amazing. Niche agencies perform better. But Dad had good early advice in the early 80s from uh, his friends, attorneys, accountants. He went to seminars. He went to an automotive seminar in 1985. Funny story, Dad went to the seminar Lee Gallus put this on in Las Vegas. Dad calls him the godfather of automotive advertising. Dad noticed another gentleman in front of him from Iowa, Des Moines, Iowa. His name was Gene Gavis. So dad taps him on the shoulder and introduced himself and said, hey, I would love to come down and talk to you about advertising. And Gene says, well, Jim, I'm here to learn from Lee Gallus. It was kind of a funny story that Gene would share really for almost 35 years. We worked with him. Now, your business operated out of 
Cedar Falls, Iowa. It's a very impressive campus with a variety of buildings, state-of-the-art technology, and this has allowed you for many, many years to do work across the country. This is hardly an organization that stays within the borders of the state. That's right. We're fortunate enough, Jeff, to, we became preferred vendor for General Motors back in 2011, and that was fantastic. And then we've done a lot of work with Chrysler, and today we have many of our products are 100% co-opt through Stellantis Market Center. So that helps too, but we have a nationwide footprint. We do business in all 50 states. Knock on wood, we're growing, Jeff. In fact, we're looking for 20 new positions. We call them product specialists. And these product specialists make 80 to 100 calls a day, great incomes, great bonuses, and wonderful, wonderful growth paths. Talk about that call center, because it's one thing to simply say, we'll produce advertising and we'll get it placed and we'll have our media buyers get the most value for the money. But the call center is a very unique portion of this that many similar agencies I trust do not offer. Correct. We've had, I don't know, at least 10 other agencies visit us in the last 10 years. They don't have anything like we have. We've had probably 50 different vendors walk through here and their eyes pop out of their brains because uh, they love what we have. It's, It's very unique. In fact, I don't know another agency in the country that has what we have. I really don't. That laser focus, a singular focus, is critical in today's world because we're all distracted by hundreds of things per day. But that singular focus has really helped us, helped our people focus. It's worked. Speaking of your people, for many years you've worked intensively with regard to training. You have a certain corporate culture that people who visit notice right away in terms of signage on the walls, et cetera. Talk a bit about some of the principles and the methods that you folks have adopted and tailored to fit the specific need of your business. One benefit, Jeff, we started a sign company probably uh, 15 to 18 years ago. And a guy named Brad Pendrith was a great wrestler at Iowa. He's in the Hall of Fame. He was a coach for you and I for 10 years. Brad is a driver. Brad is a worker, fantastic discipline. Brad runs our sign company. And Brad does all types of signs for people in Cedar Valley. He has great equipment and we do lots of posters, signage, car tags for dealers around the country and different companies. But uh, the sign company has been a nice addition that we started 15 to 18 years ago. And and, uh, Brad Pendrith is a driver. It's a matter, in essence, of you could have jobbed that out. You could have done business with another company, but from a cost analysis, it made sense to just bring it all in-house because you could be more responsive to the clients in terms of needs. It also subscribes to that family philosophy because you're not the only member of the next generation to play an integral role in mud advertising. No, no. My brothers, Chris and Rob, have been drivers for the company. They have different skill sets, but they've been big contributors. My sisters have also worked here, Elizabeth and Kathleen, and and my sister, Mary Kay. Mary Kay lives in Chicago. And we bought another agency in Chicago in 2018. We're really happy with that. It's working well. When people go through the halls, they will occasionally see references to a phrase, gung-ho. What is that, and how does that play into the four decades of success? 
Great question, Jeff. That was probably a pivotal moment here. A guy named uh, Jim Sartorius read a book called Raving Fans by Ken Blanchard. He also then wrote a book called Gung Ho. Jim and his wife, Sheila, read the book, gave it to my dad, said, hey, you might, you might like this book. So dad read the book and he loved it. And we started having weekly meetings about this book. But basically the premise is cheering people on, trying to find good. Yeah, you, there's bad things that happen every day to us, but it's the principles of Ken Blanchard that, you know, one minute manager. When you find things good during the day, try to point them out. But if you have bad things go on, you need to stop it now. You have to get in front of the client or the coworker today. You can't put it off. So many people run from problems and that makes it even worse. So that book's been a good book for us, The One Minute Manager, but also then Gung Ho. Since 1998, we've been talking about Gung Ho. You know, love it when you succeed. You know, my dad came up with that slogan, Jim Mutt Sr. We love it when dealers sell lots of cars. That's how you keep your job. And if dealers don't sell cars, we get fired. We need our customers to win and we need our people to win. You know, we're up and down, Jeff. Our business the last three years has been tough. So it's been hard to be gung-ho during these these tough years with the chip crisis. Dealers didn't have inventory. So why would they spend lots of money when they don't have cars and trucks, which we get? But the thankfulness is they are getting inventory today and we're growing. They're spending money today. In the last 90 days, we've had a great 90 days. And we expect third quarter to be just as good or better. Uh, We're poised for growth and we're excited. Jim Mudd Jr., CEO of Cedar Falls-based Mudd Advertising, online at mudd.com. That's M-U-D-D dot com. We spoke via Zoom on Thursday, June 22nd. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can listen to all or part of today's program by going to totallyiowa.com and clicking on the radio programs link. That's where you'll find podcasts of full interviews with many of the folks you hear on this program. They're listed as IBR Extras and IBR Business Profiles. And we're also found on all the major podcast distributors, 19 now in all. The Iowa Business Report is presented by Advance Iowa, providing business solutions and support to small to medium-sized businesses. Let's work together. More at AdvanceIowa.com and search for Advance Iowa on LinkedIn and Facebook. We welcome your comments. Send them by email to radio at totallyiowa.com. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com.